So, so last week uh, we were talking about the, uh, we started talking about the four essentials of faith and our, our need to develop a, a prayer life. And I think uh, the prayers of petition, prayers of gratitude, all those are, are good and helpful. But I'd really encourage you to continue to develop that contemplative prayer life and, and making a commitment to just being still, maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day. And through that prayer, and you'll struggle with it a lot, I would say, and you're going to start and stop. I can't sit still for that long. But it's just becoming more aware of, of that presence, that loving presence of God. And, and as we do so, we discover how intimate and, and uh, beautiful that love is for us. And then we also discover that that love that God has is universal and it's for the world. And then once we start realizing that God truly does love the world, that kind of moves us into the field of, of justice. And uh, I was very comfortable talking about prayer, but when it comes to justice, I get a little uneasy. Because <laughs> uh, once we start talking about that, uh, we start moving into the, the field of speaking truth, especially speaking truth to power. And that's always a, a little uh, nerve-wracking, a little challenging. Uh, but it, it certainly, it's life-giving as well. You know, I was debating which scripture to use. We'll talk a little bit about Matthew 25 today when Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was a stranger and you welcomed me uh, and many other things there. But uh, I wanted to focus on, on Micah, Micah 6, 8. And you know, it's, it's a good verse, you know, when you see this tattooed on a lot of people's bodies. <laughs> Must be a really good one. <laughs> one of our, uh, our, we take our kids in the summertime on some mission trips called SSP. And one of our youth leaders, who is a minister in California, he had this particular verse, I remember, tattooed on his forearm there. So reading from Matthew, not Matthew, but Micah 6, 8. So he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? with our God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. These are the words of God for uh, each and every one of us here today. Amen. So as we take some time just to pray and and to reflect, we're going to focus mainly on that first part, doing justice. Uh, Think about, we might have different ideas about what justice is. Um, My grandparents would never have considered themselves advocates for social justice, and they lived on a a little farm in Kansas, central Kansas, maybe one of the most conservative places in the United States, (laughs) and they lived on about 120 acres. And they went to town at the very most, maybe once a week, and they bought some sugar. And the rest of the time, they were growing their own vegetables, growing their own food, making their own clothing. They were advocates were sustainable living. They were green before we knew what green was. <laughs> and I often think about them, what our world would be like if all of us lived, had that kind of subsistence living. Uh, some of you work in the library. And the kids that come to the library and the adults and the older people, that is justice work. Sharing knowledge and goodness and having a safe place for children and adults to be. That's the work of justice, working with children. Uh, uh, sometimes I always felt overwhelmed as a parent. Just, it's, it's a full-time job raising those kids. But if we raise our children to love creation, to love all that God has created, that is the work of justice. 
just all the things we do that we might not think about it being advocating for, for social justice. So let's just take a, a few moments and think about maybe things you do uh, that you haven't really thought about that really are helping to create a better world, a better system even. Let's take a few moments just for, for prayer, private prayer, meditation there. Let us pray. Amen. So when we think about justice and social justice, does anyone want to share some, some of the things that you do, uh, your own little small part, as far as advocating for justice or seeking a, a better way of life, existence here on our earth? Little practices? Anybody? Yes, Meg. Right. And that's sort of yeah. Taking the yeah, I agree. Right. So just the car broke down and noticing all the trash on the side of the road and just taking that time to pick it up and care for the earth. Yeah, so that's advocating for justice. Yes, Michael. Well, this might be somewhat abstract, but uh, one thing that I feel like I do that hopefully adds to the idea of social justice is like, I continue to learn. Mm-hmm. I continue to constantly try to educate myself. There's no degree at the end of it or anything like that, but when you're learning, you're not speaking, you're listening. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the more I keep my trap shut, the better opportunity <laughs> And if you're listening, you're learning. And mm-hmm. if you're learning, you're growing. Mm-hmm. And if everybody did that, if everybody would learn from each other, there would be far less injustice. Right. Yeah. So continuing to learn and continuing to grow, continuing to, uh, especially as people of faith, there's sometimes there's this idea that there's this war between religion and science, but they're actually very compatible. And taking that new science and, and learning about our earth and, and our, our bodies and our relationships and, and just really growing and learning how to relate to one another and how to take care of our earth. Yeah, that's very important. And that's listening and continuing to grow. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I remember uh, Jennifer was out of town, and, and I'm really bad at this, but there wasn't any room in our refrigerator. <laughs> you ever had that? There's no room in your refrigerator and there's nothing to eat? Uh, <laughs> and so I started looking in our refrigerator, and I noticed, oh, we've got two jars of mayonnaise. We have two jars of barbecue sauce. We have two, three things of pickles. And, and so I started consolidating all the stuff in our refrigerator and putting it all into one container. And then when I was done, not only were we using all the stuff, but there's this, a trash can full of glass and plastic. And it just really hit home to me as how, how wasteful that is. And we just do it all the time. And, and then I know like Sylvia, she has like big bottles, big containers for her detergent, a big container for her shampoo, and, and she just re- reuses that same container over and over and over again. And, and that's, uh, that's important. Just think about going from being consumers and just devouring everything to more sustainability. 
And I always go back to those grandparents and they just use the same stuff over and over and over again. Not all that waste. Anyone else with just a little, yeah, Lee? So making, making some of these things and some medicine and everything and using those same containers. Yeah, Anne? Yesterday, um, Doug and I went to the forum of Senate candidates from Colorado and I armed myself with Rose's shirts and those cards that she has and on the cards I put for safety, please contact Ann McNeil to set up a visit or a phone call with my phone number on them. And I went to each candidate and talked to them and explained some of them didn't really know about sanctuary mangas. And as we talked, and then at the end I said, I want you to know that if you are the candidate chosen, we will be knocking on your door to have you sponsor a private bill so that Rosa can leave sanctuary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah. And quite often, um, uh, regardless of how we engage justice work, whether it's with the environment, whether it's with human beings, at some point in time, uh, we can do things as individuals, but then we're going to find ourselves in the political arena. Because <laughs> as we're s saving a jar here and there, there also needs to be support, legislation and laws and policies that encourage us uh, to live well, that encourage us uh, to treat our fellow human beings with respect and kindness. And, and that's where it always gets, I wouldn't say tricky, but challenging when we find ourselves in that political arena with all the, the powers to be. Yeah, so, anyone else with just a little practice? Yeah, Philip? Well, just reflecting over my life of having grown up in the in East Texas and having all kinds of weird things toward me. I had it's taken a fair amount of time to get up. I realized that most of my progress has come from actually just listening to other people. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, listening. I grew up not too far from East Texas as well, so it's definitely been a, <laughs> a change and an awakening as we continue to just open up our minds to the possibilities. And, and uh, that word, it's kind of a loaded word in Scripture that John uses called repent. And I like the translation, which simply means to have a new mind, a completely new consciousness, and to start to see things differently. 
so today and this week, I just think about justice and what is your passion? How do we can be overwhelmed because there's so much to do, but finding maybe one thing that you're passionate about, and that might become your life work, or it might just, you know, but, but find that one thing you're passionate about. And I remember um, a couple years ago, though, uh, there was a great deal of, of passion and a lot of energy behind the first women's march in Washington. And even just saying that, some of you might have a reaction like, good, and some of you might go, ooh, like that. <laughs> but it was a justice issue, that women's march. And women everywhere, they were organizing, and they were challenging the status quo. And they were calling our attention to the way that women are often mistreated and dehumanized by men and by society, and especially by men of power. And so there is this huge movement that still continues to this day to recognize women. And women wanted to say, to send a message to the Oval Office that women's rights are human rights. And it was a huge, huge moment. uh, I read some things that probably three to four million people nationwide participated, probably the largest protest in, in the history of the United States. And we have different reactions uh, to, that, to that movement. So as this organizing was taking place as pastors, we always meet every Thursday morning. And we had a lot of discussions, a lot of conversation about whether or not we should participate in the local march in Cortez. And we discussed the pros and the cons, and it was really uh, for us, as people of faith, representing churches as well, it was really difficult. As people of faith, as followers of Jesus, should we participate in a local march, a women's march? And you can probably imagine how a lot of the conversation went. Some of us said, well, Jesus stood for the dignity and the humanity of all people, including women. And if women are being mistreated and abused, then we need to stand with them. This is what Jesus would do. And other pastors who I respect very much, they said, it's political. It's political and we should not be involved. And some of us said, well, because of our faith, that's why we should be involved. Because Jesus stood for that dignity and goodness of all people. And we went back and forth, back and forth with this. And we never could come to agreement. But when we think about justice, should people of faith just leave politics to the politicians, to lobbyists and special interest group and a few activists here and there? Or should the church adhere to Micah's words? Do justice. Do justice. And that's all going to look different for all of us. And very much like prayer, striving for social justice is a non-negotiable characteristic of people of faith. It's non-negotiable for who we are as a church. And we're all going to be led in different ways on how we're going to address the, the injustice that we see in the world. Father Richard Rohr, he says, justice is giving everyone and everything their full due. Justice begins with us somehow seeing 
the divine in the other. Seeing the divine in our planet. And once we see someone or something in their fullness, we cannot help but treat them with kindness and goodness. If we can see the sacredness of our neighbor, the sacredness of women, of children, the sacredness of refugees, the sacredness of our rivers and our water supply. Can we see that in one another, in our earth? Father Roheiser says the Jewish prophets and Jesus were very, very clear about this. Our quality of faith deepens or depends upon how we care for the land, how we care for the environment, how we care for orphans, how we care for the mentally ill, for people of color, for immigrants, for children, and yes, women as well. And in Matthew 25, there's a wonderful scripture there, Jesus identifies his own presence with the poor. When you see that person on the side of the road holding the sign, that is Jesus. That is Christ. He says, I am the poor. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was a refugee. I was an immigrant and you welcomed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me. And Jesus is saying, this is what Rohr calls the Christ. I was all of those people. And how do we care for those people? It's very, very challenging. And it's overwhelming as well. Simply put, how we treat the poor, how we treat the vulnerable, how we treat the marginalized in our society is how we treat God. How we treat those refugees on the border is how we are treating God. This is serious. And it's so important. By standing with the poor and standing with the outcasts, Jesus loved them and he challenged the status quo. It was not business as normal for Jesus. And we, as pastors, we've gathered around Should we stand for the dignity of women or not? And we never agreed on something that is so obvious and so present in the gospel. Richard Rohr says, uh, I've heard so many times that people will say, especially as we have gotten more involved in social justice issues here at the church, and people say, it's politics. The church should not be involved in politics. And my response is the church should not be involved in the politics of the right or the left. But we better be involved in the politics of God. Because God was political. Brennan Manning says, they didn't hang Jesus on the cross for being Mr. Rogers. (laughs) He challenged the status quo. And there was a price to pay when he did that. Rohr says there is no such thing as a non-political Christian. There isn't. (laughs) Those who are saying, oh, we're we're not into the politics, they're not being honest. There's no such thing as a non-political Christian.
Christian. What kind of politics we will live is the question. And I'm encouraging all of us to live the politics of God. The politics of Christ. To refuse to critique the system or to refuse to critique the status quo is to fully support it. If we say nothing, we are supporting the existing system, which is not all bad, but it should come under scrutiny, as well as the church that we are a part of right now. (laughs) We're splitting over social justice issues in the Methodist church right now. And I think we have come to agreement. We will stand with people and our brothers and sisters, regardless of their sexual orientation. To refuse to critique the system or the status quo is to fully support it, which is a political act well disguised. I like that. We're part of it. Do you remember Pilate, the Roman governor? Uh, Pilate, Jesus is arrested. He's at his hand. His life is in Pilate's hand. And Pilate asked the crowd. There's a big mob that has gathered together, gathered, and there's a tradition that he always releases one prisoner. And Pilate says, who do you want me to release? Jesus or Barabbas? I often ask, what would I have said? What would we say? Who do you want me to release? And the mob starts yelling, Barabbas, Barabbas, release him. And he says, well, what should I do with Jesus then? And Pilate knows he's an innocent man. He's done nothing wrong. What should I do with Jesus? And the crowd yells, crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. And what does Pilate do? He washes his hands in front of this crowd. And he says, I have nothing to do with this. His blood is on you. And he washes his hands and he steps out. And this is called the Pilate Syndrome. All that nonsense that's going there, all that violence, all that, all that corruption, I wash my hands of it. I don't have anything to do with it. But Jesus says, you are the Christ. I give you my spirit. You can do things far greater than me. And we have a responsibility to help bring that kingdom here on earth. Roar says many Christians choose to wash their hands and declare their innocence. It's not my concern or it's politics. In the meantime, the vulnerable, the poor, and the marginalized, they suffer and they die. And it's fascinating, and it's also sad that so many Christians manage to avoid most of what Jesus taught so unequivocally. They completely miss it. Think of what Jesus said and how he lived. Jesus believed in sharing resources. He taught that. He lived that. And we would call it today redistribution of wealth. Now, if we talk about redistribution of wealth, what are we going to be called? Socialist, communist, unpatriotic, 
un-American, if we challenge that system, there's a price to pay. And people who are, say they're following Jesus have no problem with this. He asks us to share the wealth, to live with one another, sharing resources. He encouraged us to live simply. Instead of just being consumers, how much can we consume to practice subsistence living, sustainable living? Jesus encouraged us and, 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 and told us to, to forgive one another, to love our enemies, and to practice nonviolence. If we challenge that and make that a way of life, it changes the world. And I've often wondered, after 9-11, and I still don't know, what would a faithful Christian response to 9-11, what would that have looked like? If we were thinking about forgiveness, restorative justice, holding one another accountable, and nonviolence. If we question that, if we challenge that way of life, it changes everything. And this is justice. And Jesus especially talked about how we care for the poor. How we care for the marginalized people in our society. Father Rollheiser says in the Christian scriptures, one out of every ten line deals with directly with the physically poor, not spiritually poor, but physically poor people and the call from God to us to love and care for them. One out of every ten lines. In the Gospel of Luke, one out of six lines concerns the poor. This is all over Scripture. People who know their Bible very well, much better than me, sometimes seem to have no idea that Jesus says, first and foremost, Care for the poor. Dorothy Day says, if you want to live the gospel, stay close to the poor. That's living the gospel. And people of faith argue, should we have affordable health care? For a person of faith, it's not even an argument. It's obvious. Should we have more affordable housing? Should we have good public education for all, including college? All these things. Should we have child care for mothers and families? Should we have ongoing job training? Should we have mental health services for people? And these are all services that are affecting the poor and the marginalized in our society. Many Christians avoid what Jesus taught, having dignity for all people, all life, and creation. And Father Rohr says, in talking about justice, he says, let's just bring this home. (laughs) If we can't make it clear, let's try try to make it real clear for you, and I would agree with him. He says, the United States has all the money that we need for war. We have all the money we need for war, for weapons. We have all the money we need for bailing out banks. But we never have enough money for good schools, for low-cost housing, for universal health care, or welcoming refugees. Never. 
I'm reading a book on uh, the Roosevelt's and FDR, and, and he's, he's, he's implementing all these uh, policies, and they truly change society with the New Deal and offering job training and, and job creation and, and uh, unemployment and all these different things. And he's fighting all the, all the time to get the money for these programs in the middle of the Depression. And World War II breaks out, and voila, all the money is there that he needs. We never have enough money to care for the poor and for the marginalized. To refuse to critique a system is to fully support it. The pursuit for social justice is just as fundamental as prayer to our faith. So what does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord require of us? Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with God. And as clergy, I remember those meetings on Thursday morning. We were talking. Should we walk in this woman's march? Is it something a church should do to be a part of? And we went back and forth and back and forth and we never agreed. And three of us decided because of our faith, because of our belief in God and Christ and the dignity of all people, that we should walk in that Cortez march. And I remember many of you were there. Remember it snowed the night before and it was cold and we didn't know if anyone was going to show up. I remember in talking with the other clergy and, and Pastor Will said, well, if we're going to show up representing our faith, they said we should have some, we should identify as clergy. And I said, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> I'd rather just be anonymous. And he said, no, we need to wear a collar or a stole or something. And so we agreed to do that. And so for that march, I've had this stole at that particular time for 14 or 15 years. It was given to me by another church. And so I decided to wear this for a couple different reasons. To say that I stood with women, but I was also standing with people who might have a different sexual orientation than mine. And I remember arriving there and all the snow was on the ground and there was a few hundred people there wearing this. And women came up to me before the march, during the march, and after. And some of them were gay. And they said, are you a clergy person? And I said, yes. And they said, would I be welcomed in your church? And I said, yes. And this one particular woman said, well, I'm used to getting kicked out of churches. And you would actually welcome me? And I said, yes. And she just cried and cried and hugged me and would not let me go. Sometimes these small acts of compassion and caring. And it wasn't just one woman, but several women came up and just wanted to hug me. Wanted to know if they were acceptable. It's important. It's important that we engage in these small, random acts of kindness and goodness. And my prayer for all of us today is that we may do justice, whatever that looks like to us, that we stand with one another,
We stand for human dignity. We stand for this beautiful earth that cannot speak for itself. And we need to speak for Mother Earth. We do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Amen.